This is Jane Hardwick Collins, founder of the School of Shamanic Womancraft. Connecting to our inner dimensions. Inner reviews of transformation. When and how my life changed. Rewilding women with their stories of growth and transformation. Reclaiming feminine knowledge and power. Thank you for joining us. This is important and deep, serious work. Your podcast host and story guide, Ali Kate. Welcome to number four, episode four of the Woman Craft podcast series. This is the last one that was recorded earlier on in the pregnancy of the podcast. So it was really interesting to edit this and to listen to my voice, to hear the questions that I asked, to feel into that space I was in back then. And then to feel how far, um, how I've dug so deep in life from then to here. Uh, and just really blessed to sit in space and record then. And I really feel I'd love to get Kaliak back on the podcast to hear more of her fables and tales, some more storytelling. Wishing you lots of connection as you listen to this awesome episode and please remember to uh, leave your feedback and also if you can go on iTunes and leave a review that would be so much appreciated. Okay welcome Kaliak and thank you for joining the School of Shamanic Womancraft podcast. It's an absolute pleasure to have you. We finally reconnected after a few attempts, so welcome and welcome. Great. I'm looking forward to speaking with you. We've just been speaking off air and you've just come off from the first, uh, you're in the luscious Blue Mountains. (laughs) (laughs) They're very connected and I definitely feel something when I spend time there in that part of this land and it's potent energy um, sort of resonates around and what you've done is brought a lot of women together, um, yourself and Ishwari, is that right? That's right, yeah. Yeah, have brought some women together and gathered for the first ever (laughs) Blue Mountains Four Seasons Journey, is that right? That's right, Blue Mountains Four Season Journey 2018. Yeah, excellent. Yeah. So before we talk about that, I'd like to talk about you and your entry into your first Four Seasons Journey and how was that for you entering the room and what was it like? It was it was the red tent at um, Jane's place, Jane Hardwick Collins' place in Bowral. Um, and it was 
Um, I'd come there via a journey with um, the goddess and and studying um, goddess ritual with Glenis Livingston in Springwood in the Blue Mountains at Moon Court. And walking in, you know, the, the, the red tent was enormous and there was pallets on the floor with carpet, you know, Persian-type carpet, and um, the, the circle was set up in the altar. And um, there was a sense for me of um, getting more connected with, um, with the earth, with... Um, my sense of my body being um, connected with earth as woman. So, um, and I was also incredibly nervous because um, uh, groups with women have always been something that I've avoided most of my life. So um, it was a big step for me to step forward into um, women's work. Yeah, um, this comes up a lot and exactly for myself too was um that resonating not essentially fear for my own journey but a bit of intimidation from hanging around so many amazing women at one time in a circle and I've spoken to a few people along the along the years in different circles and that same feelings come up is um you know, that sort of underlying fear or, you know, something really not sitting with just being able to group together with women like that where we have a bit of a thing that comes up about it? I think for me it's, um, for me, yes, that's true. For me, um, I certainly didn't feel intimidate, intimidated. My experience with women has been that I've copped a lot of shit from them, excuse the expression, over the years. So I've, I've usually been in leadership roles and um, pretty strong roles um, in the work that I've done. And um, so so women, women would often say to me that they felt intimidated by me um, which was often a mystery for me, or um, I, I, I have been um, quite markedly scarred and attacked by women both in the corporate world and um, and uh, in my private world where um, uh, it's cre- it created a lot of pain for me. And a lot of uh, a lot of uh, hard soul-searching work about um, what what I was creating that might call this to me. Yeah. So, so what what was your background with the corporate work that you came from? Uh, yeah. So I've been an occupational therapist since 1980, um, which is a really long time. Mm. And um, uh, you know, in that time, I, I did a lot of work with. Um, originally with physical um, disability and uh, I also worked in psychiatry for a while. And then I moved into um, the corporate world in relation to workers' compensation. So I worked as a consultant um, for many years um, in the insurance some big insurance companies and um, managed claims department 
advocates and also um, uh, teams of health professionals providing services uh, for insurance um, clients. So, um, so essentially you would have been driving a pretty hard line there with people and did you have a lot different perception of human beings um, back then in that line of work? Um, I always did a lot of work with I've, – I've always done a lot of personal work on myself and I've also done a lot of training in counselling um, and psychodrama. So um, in terms of a hard line, I felt like I was living my um, – I was living my more masculine roles and, um, you know, drive, drive for success but also very much survival. So – um, when I was in the corporate world, I was raising my three daughters and I was on my own. So um, I was pretty pretty driven by that. Um, so yeah, so it's it's a di- it's a different world, and um, I didn't like it much. Um, but for a good while, I was good at it. But I did um, have difficulties with the women in that world uh, at various times. Yeah, and possibly not a space to uh, get a get a enriched emotional language about what's coming up for women in that world, in that corporate environment. Oh, look, I always just found men so much easier to be around. Really, for me, it was just hard work being with women. So yeah, yeah, you know, they either they either um, were scared of me or attacked me that was my black and white view of the world which wasn't actually accurate but that was how it felt and so was that clearly uh highlighted for you when you came into the first school of shamanic womancraft session um that my fear around it yeah or was it an was it something that you um you knew about at the time or did that come up through the journey um, I knew about it, but I was actually at that point. I had got to the point where I had started to soften my black and whiteness around it, and started to want to explore what it meant, and um, you know what what I could do with um, you know my calling to work with the inner psyche, and what that meant with being my woman self. And I, I didn't have a sense of a strong connection with my woman self. So um, that was really important to me at the time and that was probably the main driver for walking into that into that um, red tent at the time. And how old were your girls at that time too? When you my walked, girls? Yeah, when you uh, walked into the red tent. Uh, it was 2013, so... Um, Charlie was 21 and uh, Morgan was 24 and uh, Jamie was um, 30. Yeah, so was there a pull in the direction of transferring the wisdom and the remembering and the knowledge onto them to for you stepping into that red tent at that moment was there that that idea that these girls would um do the work through you doing the work if that makes sense 
was a sense for me that I could change change uh, the red thread, work on my red thread, and that would help them. But I was also very aware that they're very different from me and they remain very different from me. So um, uh, I guess my my blessing is that we're now and you know for the last few years we're quite we're good friends. So I've been at all of four of my grandchildren's births. Oh wow! Um, How was that? Yeah, pretty uh, extraordinary. Yeah. So, so when you ask me about that, um, whether the motivator was about my daughters, I would say to you that my motivator is about my grandchildren. Yeah. And my, um, you know, I've got three granddaughters uh, and one gorgeous grandson, but um, I want to, I want to change the world for my granddaughters. Yeah, and so, so why that's, do you? That's uh, I mean, my granddaughter was alive when I walked into that tent, but you know, there was there was, and not neither was my grandson actually. I don't think, hmm. but you know, there was more a sense of this is what this is what the purpose is. I need to change myself, and I need to get really in my woman's skin, so that they know that it's okay. And with your births, with your daughters, your three daughters. Did anything yeah. come up in those experiences that helped guide you into the person and the work that you do today? Um, well, well, definitely. You know, as Jane always says, you have have the birth you need to take you on the journey. Um, so I learned I learned a lot about capacity as a woman to birth through them so the first the, my first birth was very like I say it's like was every medieval contraption ever created by man um and I was very young and then that created in me a desire to um be my uh autonomous self for the second and third births and um you know I I found that my second and third births that had no interventions at all were um when I actually recognized the essence of my power as as a woman and um and and grew to some sort of seed of respect for my woman body which um i kind of put aside then to do the the work of raising the girls pretty much until i walked into that tent so yeah yeah interesting and do they ask you a lot about your work or what you do with the School of Shamanic Womancraft, especially with, like, the Four Seasons journey that you're doing now? Um, they don't ask me a lot. They're not – they don't live with me. Um, I mean, they're, they're, they're all uh, – not all. Uh, two of them have come to workshops with me, uh, pregnancy workshops and moonsong workshops, and um, uh, so they're, they're interested, but um, – you know, in the way that they've gone about their lives and about birth, it's it's very different from the way that I I would do things. So, like, you know, they, they, the, the two that have had babies have been very clear that they wanted an epidural as soon as possible and, you know, they they um, wanted to be in hospital. And so I've... Um, I just hold the way that I am and let them hold the way that they are and... You know, play 
with unicorns with my granddaughters. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, so when we spoke last, you were off to a unicorn party the next day, I do remember. <laughs> yeah, well, you know, that's um, that's been a big, you know, that's what I do with my nieces and my grandchildren. Yeah, and yeah. We talk to the fairies and we talk to the trees and we climb climb up the staircases in the middle of trees anyway yeah, yeah. that's um there's, there's a big a big part of my imaginal world that I've been able to um bring to life with them that I didn't have the space to do with my own children in many ways yeah and fantastic to tap back into that yeah yeah, yeah. really good sort of nice <laughs> so Psychodramatist, you are. How how did you come into that? Tell me, and how did that intertwine into the work that you're doing? Into my work? Yeah, into the work. Well, um, actually, I was listening to the podcast with Amanda Scott and um, Sharon Blackie yesterday. Um, don't know if you know them, but yep, yep. Um, Sharon is an Irish, you know, she writes beautiful women, women Rose Rooted and Amanda Scott has written a beautiful series of books on Boudicca. Um, and Sharon Blackie was interviewing Amanda Scott and Amanda Scott trains um, uh, people in shamanic practices and says um, it takes at least 12 to 13 years to train adequately in these practices, I won't let any of my trainees do anything for 12 or 13 years. And I thought, that's how long it took me to train as a psychodramatist. Mm. Um, and I think there's something in that, you know. It was so, so I trained in a lot of therapies. Um, so I've, I've got qualifica- post grad qualifications in different therapies and. Um, I did some psychodrama back in the 1980s, probably before you were born. But um, <laughs> yeah, it was anyway, yeah. <laughs> um, what was the pull though? What was the pull to it? What What was the like deciding thing? It's like I'm going to try this out in my life. Was there a series of events or anything that just really pulled you into doing this work? I think I worked in psychiatry at the time, and um, I wanted a method to use in a group that actually brought issues to life and that's what psychodrama does. So, you know, we, we talk about um, you know, a lot of, many of the therapies I trained in are just therapies where you do a lot of thinking and maybe a bit of feeling if you're lucky. Um, in psychodrama you use action. So we um, the important thing about it is that uh, that draws me to it is that we talk about um functional roles and healing, having thinking, feeling and action in balance. And um, that that to have a have a um, have a progressive role, you need all three of those things in, in full amount. So um, and, and the other thing about it for me was that many people find expressing themselves in words so difficult, you know, and it's like this patriarchal culture tells us that that's the way to do it, you know. The more words you know, the better you can express yourself kind of thing. But actually, um, people, when they get embodied and when they get in their body, they uh, can access so much more of their inner world and express it through their body 
uh, in ways that don't need words. So, um, so no words. That's, that's one of the, no words at all when you're sort of going through a process. This process. Oh no, we use, we use words and action and, and feelings. Yeah. So you need all three. Yeah. Yeah. So. But um, the, the, the embodiment's really important. So the other thing for me is drama. I love drama. So um, not that I'm an actress or anything, but I just love the idea of um, working in a group where you move into action. So, um, I mean, a lot of the processes that we do in the Four Seasons journey are psychodramatic. Mm, you know? Yeah, yeah. Uh, ritual is dramatic. When, when, when we do the journey... Um, in dark moon gathering to the underworld, that's psychodramatic. You're you're doing a journey in your body, which is about um, accessing your inner world and doing the inner work, but you do it in action. So you leave the roles as you descend, you know, and then you pick them up again as you ascend. Um, mm. That's very psychodramatic. It's very, so it's there's a lot of thinking that goes into it. Um, a lot of feeling, letting go, and um, action, putting aside, you know, and then you, you enter um, into this space where you've left all of yourself behind. It's that, that's, that's psychodramatic. So that's one of the things, that's one of the reasons why I decided to keep going with the apprenticeship and become a teacher because um, many of the processes are psychodramatic. Yeah, so it just fitted into your scope of what you're doing then and now. Yeah, we'll change. Yeah. Them, but, you know, for me, I'm very clear that that's what they are, you know. So, hmm. Yeah, so, so say like I came along and wanted to join in with the session, would you yeah. go with the same people in psychodrama or do you have different groups all the time or how does that work? You... you mean the same people? Yeah, so do you group yeah, with the same people? Oh, so would it be a closed group with the same people over and over again? Is that what you mean? Yeah, yeah, yeah. Is that how it works? Yeah. Yeah. Um, it can. So like when I did training, I was uh, I used to go weekly to training and it was the same group and we did our personal work, so a lot of personal work like it's that thing about um if you if you want to teach stuff then you've got to work on healing yourself you have to know yourself before you can help others to know themselves you know so um yeah that was a close group but when i hold groups uh psychodrama groups here in the mountains um it's just whoever wants to come and that group changes all the time so it can be either. We hold open nights where anyone comes or sometimes we have groups that are continuous and are closed. And, you know, there's benefits to both things. Closed groups are great, like they are in the Four Seasons journey, because you can develop relationships. And when you de develop relationships, you get to know yourself better in the context of relationships. You know? mm. so. so tell me how your Four Seasons journey was for you and let's talk about the drum process, how did that go, making the drum for you and your birth imprint? Um, so my birth imprint, um, is around being too big. 
Um, so how that comes, how that came through making the drum was that I was, you know, I was going to make a beautiful drum, of course, and um, uh, it was very interesting that I made, I, I, I spent a lot of time doing the lacing and, you know, making sure the lacing wasn't twisted and getting it right. Sounds like I'm a perfectionist, but <laughs> I'm not really. But in this process, it was really interesting. It was like I was going to, you know. And then um, a lot of the time I hadn't had my glasses on. Anyway, after I'd done it, I turned it over and I put my glasses on it and I could see that the skin had all these hairs in it. And I remember getting really distressed about the hairs. Um, and I think it was it was um, um, Jane this she she was quite hairy when she was born and people would sort of comment on how hairy she was and um so I think that was really kind of like wow there's there's the birthing and just completely falling in love with hairy or not kind of thing and um but also getting that that whole thing about being too big and getting teased about being a really fat baby which I have done most of my life um, uh, means that I, I want I wanted what I was birthing or who I was birthing to be perfect in everyone's eyes, kind of thing. So, I mean, that was that was pretty um, pretty amazing to sit with, um, and also the recognition of um, the birthing process. wanting maybe wanting approval or something like that it was um about uh probably a thing I rejected about being a woman that I thought that being a woman meant that that's what I had to do was kind of conform or not be too big or so I think I I, I thought that those things got conflated really as well yeah and so you so <laughs> the other thing that happened for me around that time was um, I, I found out not long before that that I had a very big fibroid and um, there was some talk about having a hysterectomy and um, so I went to opening and I was sort of saying oh I'm booked in for hysterectomy and da 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 I'm still bleeding I'm still bleeding erratically it was perimenopausal and um, I decided after opening gathering that no I wasn't going to do it I was going to wait and I had my last bleed a month after um, opening. I didn't know it was going to be my last bleed, but it was, so that I was able to actually put my blood on that drum. Oh, wow. So my last, yeah. So it's pretty, um, it's a very special drum to me. She's very, uh, very precious and because um, I really had never, celebrated my blood before and so I had my last bleed and got my chance to do that so um it was a deeply symbolic time of um of sitting with myself as a woman and accepting change um, yeah accepting, accepting last blood accepting that I had been bleeding all of my life and um, that I wanted to be different 
from now on about my woman self. Hmm. Yeah, and tell me about your first blood. Do you recall that time at all in your yeah, life? Yeah. Uh, yeah. Well, I was the eldest of six kids. It was it's it was just a very matter of fact thing. I was very young in my year at school, so I was um, I was later than everyone else bleeding, and um, I I I was quite fascinated. Like I. I always get fascinated by um, the processes and want to understand more about my body. And so I was quite excited about what this meant. Um, and I got it, got my bleed and it was like, oh, yeah. Um, so it became just a soldier on part of my life, really. Um, yeah. So I can get I can get into sadness about that. But um yeah, so yeah, it was, it was. So the last blood, you honoured that rite of passage and by doing yeah. that you got to connect with your first experience um, and honour that in a way. Yeah, it was very healing. It was a very healing process. So I remember sitting out the back under the trees out in the backyard and, um, you know, uh, pouring the blood into the drum and... Um, blessing my uterus and yeah it, it, yeah it was very healing to be able to do that I'm very grateful actually that I got to do that and did you have that expectation mm. that you'd be doing this uh sort of practice when you first came into your four seasons journey or around the blood yeah or around anything were you just really open to I had no expectations, really. I don't think yeah. I even knew what I was getting into. Yeah, yeah. I just was like, I just, I didn't really have cognitions a bit around it, which, you know, I let myself not have cognitions around it and I just knew that was where I needed to go, you know, that I didn't want the academic stuff about goddess anymore. I didn't want to do, uh, you know, rituals that reminded me of Catholic mass, Um you know, that, that I wanted to get more into my body and into the earth. And that's called me for all of my life, really. Yeah. I mean, this is yeah. it with the journey work and especially to allude to a lot of people that haven't done it is that it's not this set practice of like you must do this or this. It's so diverse and unique for each person's story and the essence of it is our stories and like we were talking about, it focuses, you know, on our first rite of passage, which is our blood or our birth imprint, our own birth, and then our first blood as a woman, um, and then, you know, from on to there and how those processes have shown up in our lives and, um, you know, again, that coming that full circle and having that ability to speak out what we may always have held in, but in our own unique way. Absolutely, and it's different for every single person. I was actually talking to someone the other day and saying, um, you know what, I reckon we should add in another transition, and that's that's the transition that's around our first sexual experience, you know, becoming a sexual being. Um, yes. And sometimes that's going to be traumatic for people, but, you know, I still think that that's a really important transition. I'm just starting to explore this in my own kind of way and thinking, oh, 
you know, there's a piece here that would be really good to yeah. grow with. And yeah, that'd be great to see yeah. that intertwined and I look forward to sort of exploring that more with you and hearing more about that. Mm, I think it's a big one. Kathy Jones in Glastonbury, who founded the um, Goddess Temple in Glastonbury, she um, she talks about um, the, sta- the uh, phases of a woman's life and before mother she has lover. So mm-hmm. um, she goes maiden, lover, mother, I think queen and crone or something like that. But, yeah, so she has five stages. Yeah, so the lovers. I've I've, I've known that for a long time, but I've never kind of explored it or thought about it all that much. I just think it's um, it's worth worth thinking about more and exploring more and, um, yeah. Yeah. A lot of, a lot of, there's a lot of uh, things to explore in that. Yeah. I mean, that's the other thing too about, Doing journeys such as these, and especially with the School of Shamanic Womancraft, there's so much room to explore, again, in your unique way, and there's no right or wrong in that exploration. Yeah. Yeah. You are listening to the School of Shamanic Womancraft podcast series with Ali Kate. Reclaiming feminine knowledge and power. Transitioning through your first journey in the, how how did you feel emotionally, and what came up in your life during this four seasons journey for you? Um, I started to wind down the consulting work that I was doing, and started to really look at what I wanted to do more in my life. So. Um, I mean, that coincided with a lot of things to do with moving to the Blue Mountains and um, having more space with my partner, um, moving in. and So I started to really think about, okay, well, and this is a time of life thing too for me, you know, what, what, why am I here? What's this about? What, what's my, you know, what am I meant to be doing? I've, I've got a lot of skills that I've built up and I could be an eternal student if I want to be, um, but how do I want to bring bring um, everything that I am into making a difference? So all those questions were coming up really strongly during the journey and, um, you know, more and more it was like I just knew I had to keep going, so I did, and I, I went over to Europe couple of times the year after I finished the journey and did um, full moon gathering and dark moon gathering in France with Jane um, just as an, as an apprentice and helping how, how like, um, then why, I just, sorry to I need to interrupt and ask because I just think France how did that no, come about fun. did you feel really drawn to that country or you were just like oh that'll do or well, I can't, it kind of happened because I was floating around and I, I mean, we go over there um, every year basically to Ireland um, 
And it was kind of like, oh, I'm, you know, we're going to go over next year. And Jane said, oh, we'll come, you know. And I thought, oh, okay, I'll come. So I did. Um, yeah, so I went went to Ireland afterwards. Or oh, we went to Spain one time and Ireland the other time. But, yeah, so that's how it came about. It was just like I'm going to keep on going with this work and what do I want to do and yeah, so doing it over there was pretty extraordinary, actually. It's sort of, uh, you know, we had I had a group of French and English women, and we had to translate everything, and <laughs> it was um, it was extraordinary experience. So yeah, I um, bet. I uh, think that that yeah. So the the kinship. Did yeah. you find even though the English language was there still that kinship that connection? Um, apparent during that journey there's more 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 things to work through when you've got communication barriers and um so the relationships develop in a slightly different way and then i don't know but my my guess would be that there's um you know historical um issues between the french and english so that's going to be alive as well it's it's some it's the whole thing about when a group of people gets to get gets together. What are the energies that are flowing, and what becomes present? And so it, it was very different from being here in Australia, where you know we're such a young country, and um, many of us feel quite disconnected from our ancestry um, way back in Europe, and. Um, you know, working to be connected with the land here and it's a work, it's different, it feels young, but there it's very ancient, you know, there's layers and layers and layers if you go down through Mother Earth um, that are culturally um, different than here so, and more more resonant with my ancestry. Yeah, my mother line's Irish and I often wonder what it would be like to sit in circle where my DNA is imprinted I guess what would come up for me and how differently I would connect in the work up to in the work in that country as opposed to here just by what you've explained a lot of um for me in Ireland my blood calls to the land you know so um there, there, there is um, the goddess is in the land there, and if you dig a little bit, the goddess is in many place names there. Um, uh, and the goddess in Ireland is very different from the goddess, the Greek goddesses, the ones that we work with in the Four Seasons journey. There, um, there's not much written about them there. They are very. Um, entwined with the land and with place and um, it's so standing there for me it's just a vibe it's a vibration not just but it's a vibrational thing you know I feel I feel it in my body that settling in in my skin when I'm there and different places have different resonances so could could you tell me any sort of ancient wisdom or any information that you have that you've learnt from Ireland or from the ancient stories there or the goddesses or that resonated with yourself? Um, 
yeah, there's lots of stories. My, our, our, pa- um, our patron, matron goddess for um, the Four Seasons Jenny in the Blue Mountains is Bridget, which was a bit like I, I was like, no, not Bridget. That's me. <laughs> um, so Bridget, uh, <laughs> Bridget's sort of uh, pretty, pretty amazing triple goddess who's very connected with the Kaliak actually. Um, so uh, she has a an eternal flame, and she's a she's a goddess associated with healing and blacksmithing and um, poetry, wordsmithing. So she's kind of got a triple um, triple set of skills, which the, you know the number three is quite magical in Ireland. Um, and also, she uh, is reputed to have gone to Ireland, uh, to sorry, Iona, uh, the sacred Isle of Iona, off the west coast of Scotland, and um, and also to Glastonbury. So she gets, she's got around quite a lot, a lot Bridget. Mm-hmm. Um, so she's the goddess of Imbolc, which is um, spring, you know, the first spring festival, and. Um, it's kind of like she and the Kaliak. So the Kaliak is the hag goddess and she shows up a lot in Celtic lands. So she's in Scotland and Ireland. So she um, is the winter goddess over there and she's the shaper of the land. So the, the story about the Kaliak that I really love is that um, she gathered up all the rocks and stones in her apron and she strode across the land throwing the stones and rocks to each side and it created the mountains and the valleys and um, uh, the landscape. Um, So she's a land shaper, sovereign goddess. Um, And it's like she and Bridget change hands um, at at Imbolc. Um, so the end of winter, the Kaliak um, in some stories becomes Bridget. So there's two faces, all hands over to Bridget. So yeah, what so does that's, Bridget that's look Kaliak like? Uh, in, uh, in your words, in yeah. most well, she's a maiden goddess, so she's she's young and. Um, always depicted as young and very connected with the earth. Um, so the, the, the stories in Ireland um, are, are verbal, so there's not much written. There's people that are starting to do research in classical Irish literature about the goddesses and um, the gods and stories, and um, they often talk about them being pre-Celtic. So we, we a lot of stuff comes out about the Celts and Celtic culture and the Celtic Ogham and all that sort of stuff. But um, I was I was in Ireland last year on the what, the hill of Ishnak, which is the belly button of Ireland. The centre stone is of Ireland is on the hill of Ishnak. And the storyteller there was saying um, that, oh, we don't want to be like the Celts. The Celts were warlike. He was fight and kill. We want to uh, remember the Duodadainan. The Dua Dardanian were the people before the Celts, the people that um, uh, that the Celts drove underground, that uh, are associated with the Shi or the fairy folk, and um, 
these are where all the goddesses come from, the stories of the Duodadanan. They're not Celtic stories. They're, they're before that. So there's some um, goddesses like um, Neve, and who's a Duodadanan goddess, and um, Aemid, who's a goddess of healing and herbs, um, and the Morrigan, who I'm particularly partial to, is a triple goddess of war and prophecy. So she's a um, Marga goddess, in my view. There's a lot of them, and there's not much yeah. known about them. So recently, at the last goddess conference I did, a Wheel of, Wheel of the Year, and the, the goddesses of the Duodadanan on the wheel and how they represented the phases of a woman's life. So, um, yeah, so Ariu and Anu, there's so many of them. <laughs> Where's the best spot Sovereign. that someone was listening now could go and just look and find out more information to start off with, <laughs> like myself? <laughs> Um, uh, anything that Sharon Blackie writes. Sharon Blackie is an uh, amazing writer. So she is a scholar also. She's a psychologist and scholar of Irish history. So um, she she writes about, about the goddesses. Um, there's also... Uh, a woman called Jane Brideson, who's a beautiful artist, and um, she she paints the goddesses and has uh, on her website, I think it's called the Ever Living Ones. Um, she writes about them uh, related to her paintings and why why she uh, has depicted them in the way that she has. So they they're the places that I would start. Mm, thank you. So. Heading back, you know, you're finishing. Oh, going there, of course. Going there is even better. Yeah, I was just about to say that before, actually. Just oh, go the there if you gig. can. You know, what about the Sheila and a gig? I didn't even mention her. My goodness. Oh, How could yeah. I forget her? Yeah, yeah, go. Oh, she's, she's um, like, we're, my partner and I have gone on many um, searches for Sheila and a gigs over the countryside in Ireland, but she's a, she's a hag goddess and I, um, I work with her in the winter solstice time. So she's she is um, loud and proud. She's a hag with, you know, pendulous breasts, and she's she has her legs and vulva open and exposed to the world. And um, she you find her in many ruins of churches, not just in Ireland but in the UK and France as well. And um, so Catholic churches that. Um, she's actually from medieval times, but she represents something incredibly potent and powerful um, about um, being woman and being feminine and being sovereign and being powerful. So my favourite one is over a ruined church door and she, she sits above the church door and um, uh, looks down at people who walk in and out in, uh, in a place called Kilnaboy in County Clare, and um, the church is, um, Kilnaboy comes from a, a saint, St. Enon Boifa, who um, had, a, had a whole uh, um, group of women there who were healers, the story goes, with many wells named after them, and the, the Sheila Nagig is um, incredibly potent in that church. I, I got a photo of my dad walking out of the church 
underneath the Schillinger gig when I showed him he was utterly horrified. <laughs> <laughs> what century was that church? Oh. What's that? What century was that church? Century? Yeah, what century was it? Um, good question. Probably 11th or 12th, something yeah. like that. Oh, my gosh. It's just – that's amazing to – yeah, to just touch something so – yeah, yeah, yeah. Sort of yes. backtracking, um, you finished up the four yeah. seasons. Uh, what, what, and you, you know, you journeyed in France and how long till you sort of, I guess, got that pull that you really wanted to bring this and teach it as you're doing now? Probably when Jane said to Ishwari and me, so when are you going to start it in the Bloomhounds? Yeah, okay. <laughs> it was more that I hadn't really, I hadn't, I mean, because I was doing my own stuff and, um, you know, I'm taking a group of women to Ireland in June this year and um, running psychodrama and I've got a counselling practice and things. So I, I... Yeah, I, I guess I got invested in the school as well and wanting the school to grow and um, in that vein. And, um, I, I kept saying um, we need more structure, we need more structure until that I started to get teased about saying that word and um, now I'm, I, I feel... Like I, my role is as bone woman of my tribe. So I, as bone woman, I am interested in the bones of the organisation and how we work together. And um, I have an investment in that. So I think that my saying yes to teaching grew from that and wanting to be hungry to be a part of a tribe of women so um because i've worked on my own pretty much a lot of my life so even when i'm in the corporate world i was pretty on my own so yeah it's um that that was probably the the yes in me to teaching was being a part of the tribe and so how did it go for you stepping up into that when the journey opened and what was that like in relation to the first time you stepped into that red tent? Um, I, um, I said to Jane and Ishwari after we'd done opening gathering that my strong feeling after I after we'd finished opening gathering was um, a message that I kept getting that this is the work that I was this is the work that I was made to do. This is the work that I've been um, working to develop skills to bring forward all of my life. And that's that's how it felt, um, teaching it, co-teaching it, you know, and um, being with the women when they were going deep into their work. So... Um, there was a, 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 a strong feeling of that, and that's 
that's not to say that resistances don't come up and my wounding doesn't come up around being in the tribe. Um, but that was certainly very clear to me after the opening gathering. How many women have you got journeying with you? Uh, there's 13 women and four apprentices and we're having a makeup opening gathering next week. And um, so one of the women who couldn't come to the opening and also there's a new woman, Mama Toto, coming who's just registering now. Mm. So we'll have 14 women and four apprentices, which is pretty much exactly the same size that my year was when I did it in 2014, which is quite fascinating. Ishwari and I were in the same year. So, um, yeah. Beautiful. It's, uh, it's, like, um, it's kind of a wheel has turned back to the beginning again. So what would you say to someone that was considering joining on a four or eight seasons journey? Um, I, would, I would say to them that um, if the calling for that is coming from a place that you trust, a place that you know inside yourself or even outside yourself, um, that follow you trust and, um, and do it. You know, it's... Um, it's, it's a hard journey and you'll come up against yourself like you, you can never get away from yourself and you'll come up against your wounding and you'll be with other women's wounding as well. Um, so be prepared for hard work but, um, you know, you'll be supported along the way in that and um, learn things about yourself that you've probably never known before. How about some advice mm -hmm. for someone that has blockages that come up? Um, you know, I can't do this because of X, Y, Z, or I can't do this because A, B, C. Um, what advice would you give? <laughs> um, I always say to people when a block comes up uh, that... Uh, it's it's a thing to inquire into. Um, don't hold it as gospel. Don't hold it as the absolute truth, but it's a block and it's there for a reason. And often blocks uh, come up uh, because of things that we learnt when we were really little, when we were wounded. Um, and And... The decision-making process about what to do comes from uh, insight into where the block comes from. So um, if you start to understand uh, about yourself, am I making a decision based on feeling wounded or feeling terrified, then you're making a decision based on your wounding not on the healthy part of yourself. And making a decision based on your wounding is um, um, usually not the best idea because it holds you back. So I, I think uh, one of the things that I have found about it is that uh, for me and for others to actually speak about it 
these are the these are the uh, you know like I've I've got what I call a motivating force that's pushing me forward to want to do it, and I've also got this thing called a reactive fear that's pushing me back and stopping me, and talking about what each of those things are. So what what's wanting you to what's making you want to move forward? What's what's holding you back? Um, and and teasing apart where those things come from, you usually find that um, the things that are holding you back are to do with things you learnt when you were little, like you can't trust other women or this world isn't safe to go into a group and do deep work or you might get hurt if you open yourself. And they're usually things that, you absorb before you even have the words. So um, if that's the case, then um, it's good to acknowledge that and um, say, yes, I hear the fears and I understand that why I'm afraid and I'm, I'm going to make a choice to keep moving forward. Hmm. I don't know if that makes sense, but that's um, that's kind of, Weirdly, in a nutshell, the work that I do in um, counselling sessions. So, what holds yourself accountable? So, is there any sort of rituals or um, any little tips of information that you do that makes sure that the work stays within you, that gives you the motivation and the inspiration to keep doing this work? Because, like you said before, it can be hard, um, but when in a safe space, obviously. It's nurtured to come out as it needs to, but sometimes it's really hard. <laughs> yeah. Um, I, 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 I have always had a deep hunger for inquiry and for understanding, so um, there's a commitment to myself to keep digging, but I also have a very strong commitment to integrity so um, if if blocks come up for me then I find someone to do the work with so I've got a supervisor that I work with for instance um, someone that I trust deeply um, and I have friends that I would talk to I have an altar um, here at home with various symbolic things that hold the directions for me um, I have, so, so I like candles, um, last night I came home after a day of counselling and I felt like I was, um, or carrying other energies, so I was smudging myself before I went to bed, I went to bed smelling like sage, sage smudge, um, my, my constant constant struggle is to look after my physical body so um, I can work for me and I think um, staying strong is really important this work needs physical strength as well so I'm I, that's that's a learning edge for me um, but the symbols around me and reading reading and learning more really important I get fueled by the land and I have sacred trees on my land so I have a, um, a red oak tree in my front garden 
and um, her name is Sheila Nagig, and she's really important to me in terms of grounding me. So I'll often go out there under a full moon or a new moon and um, be with her. And, um, yeah, so she holds me in a space that grounds me. Going back to Ireland is really important to me because it connects with me with my ancestry and, you know, no matter what I do, the reality for me is that um, I feel in my skin on that land, you know. I can feel my ancestors and I can feel the pain of my ancestors, but it's, um, you know, it, it's, it's a, a part of making sense of myself that I need to do as well. Mm. That, so, yeah, yeah, that, yeah. Important. So where can people find you? Oh, um, my website is um, triplespiral.net. So Triple Spiral Womancraft is my um, business name. And I'm on Facebook, Triple Spiral Womancraft, or um, Catherine Howard. I'm on Instagram at Catherine Kaliak. Um, and that's spelled C A W L I A C H. Is that right? Um, C A I. Oh, C A I. There you go. Completely different. Yeah, double L E A C H. Hey, tell me yeah. the, tri- the triple spiral. Um, yeah. What's your interpretation of the three spiral mm. parts? Yeah. Yeah. Uh, there, there's a lot of stuff written about it. I mean, it's it's in um, the monument at Bruna Boyne, New Grange. Um if you spoke to Glennis Livingston, who um, is one of my wonderful teachers, who's written a book called Pagayan Cosmology, she would say it's maiden, uh, maiden mother crone, the triple goddess. Um, and then other people will write that it's got nothing to do with the goddess at all, that it's just people making spirals because they wrote they did spirals in all sorts of places. So um, I think. Um, it's uh, so that that um, poem by Lunig that's about um, uh, me- making meaning. You know, we 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 as humans make meaning of things that um, give us support to keep going and fully live. So, I guess the triple spiral is something that um, you make meaning of. Yeah, that's the interesting thing about symbology and symbols that come through into our modern age. I mean, like this triple spiral has, they say, been around since like the 10th century or even before that. Is that right? BC? Yeah, yeah. Yeah, yeah. Yeah. Around and, for yeah, so it's, it's yeah. interesting how that's carried through and the interpretations of it have probably changed and evolved and all unique, again, like we say about our story, it's all unique to our life path, to our story, to our imprint, to whatever you need to call it. Um, 
there's no right or wrong, is there? No, and I really think he was right when he said we do not find meaning, we only make meaning. Mm. And, um, you know, we don't know what they meant when they did it. Yeah. We're never going to know. Yeah, yeah. We can only we can only create around it what feels true and right for us, you know, and for what? But that's going to be different from one person to the next. So, you know, I'm not going to... I, I, I have no interest in um, believing someone else's interpretation of something. I'm, I'm interested in what they might make meaning of, but I'm not. I'm not interested in taking it on as my truth. Yeah, exactly. Yeah, it's, it's especially since the shifts in our evolution um, or de-evolution. Who knows what. <laughs> what the 8th century was what they knew or what they interpreted or what they channeled or their connection to earth back then it's exactly right like mm. we don't actually know much about Kaliak you know we don't know much about even the Shilina gigs who are much much um, nearer to us on a timeline than the Kaliak is or even Bridget or um, Aamid or Morrigan, you know, there's, yeah. So I think there's a lot, a lot in uh, the whole thing of what, what do you, when you dive deep into yourself, what do you find there that supports you to be the best that you can be in this world to bring forward what what you're meant to bring forward and um yeah that for me means a triple spiral that um could be a goddess symbol um but it's actually a reflection of my ancestry and the land um in ireland and um that's why it's important to me and why it speaks to me i can feel the texture of it and know that it was hewn out of stone by my ancestors in a kind of miraculous way. So, um, yeah. Thank you so much. Is there anything else that you wanted to offer before we we say we bid our farewells? No, thank you. Thanks for mm. um, speaking with me. It's been a lovely conversation. Yeah, and I do hope as your four-season um, journey progresses with your women, the the women, <laughs> I shouldn't say your women, <laughs> I would love to check in with you again at some point and we could do a, you know, a short little check-in and just see how that's evolving and your growth during that time. It would be very interesting. For more information on today's Inner Review with photos and how to connect, head over to schoolofshamanicwomancraft.com forward slash media forward slash podcast. Subscribe to our podcast via iTunes and all good podcast players. We are all in this together. 